with social media, every post is how I made six figure in three months. And oh, you're not making a million dollar after a year, you loser. And on the internet, people are trying to sell you on the easy way. People get that sense of I need to see results very fast. And that leads you into being very, very short term results driven, which is usually not the best thing. Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of Webflow. I'm your host, Jack, a failure connoisseur. And today, my guest is Ran Segal. I'm sure this man needs no introduction to listeners of Webflow, but for my mum who listens to these episodes, who maybe doesn't know him, Ran Segal is a full-stack designer, content creator, and owner of an online Webflow school called Flux Academy. I first came across Ran maybe five years ago when I watched one of his daily vlog videos, and I became pretty obsessed. He cycled through Tel Aviv on the way to client meetings, sat in his office explaining the structure of a landing page, or sharing behind the scenes of his startup, Prospero. I think I and a lot of people connected with Ran because he was curious, enigmatic, and exceptionally clear at explaining complicated things in a simple manner. This helps to explain the insane success of Flux Academy when it was first launched and planted the seed for the success to come. Flux eventually became the core focus, and he has now built a team around him for the Academy to be a fully-fledged and robust engine. The failures we talk about in this episode are not releasing original project files to a client, working with family and friends without clear boundaries, and working without a clear design brief. This is a peachy episode, so let's get into it. Embrace and learn from failure in episode 43 of Webflow with Ran Segal. Ran, welcome to the Webflow podcast. Thank you for sharing that. That was insightful in helping me understand who I am. It's always strange to hear people explain what you do, but this is this was well done. Thank you. I'm very glad. I feel like you have changed dramatically as a person since when I first started watching you. So it's quite weird to be telling you how I've experienced the RAN that is sat in front of me today. You know, from your family starting and, you know, balancing family and work. And then more recently, there was the video with Chris Doe where you kind of had like this workshop about where you should be spending your time. And I wondered, you know, on reflection of that, was that probably one of the most important conversations you've had in the last, well, maybe in the last few years? I'm not sure. No, but it's so many people feel that way. Uh, I think because so many people have that was a lead I guess to a lot of people finding out about me or maybe because they like Chris or trust Chris it did it a lot of people refer back to that call honestly to me back then yeah it didn't feel that important because it's funny because I was very fixed back then on trying to make my software startup work and he was like maybe you make money from your youtube stuff and i'm like no youtube is just for fun and it's funny how things roll yeah because it did became my life and has changed me from being and i was very afraid about that change from being a designer to being like a youtuber and i was very actually worried about stop is stopping to do client work and just talking about stuff that I don't do anymore because I didn't want to be want to be just that meta person that just talks about stuff and does not do it anymore but that actually what happened and now we're kind of like 3 4 years into it and my 
fears have been true. I have become that person. And it's weird because I'm it's you're talking about changing, but I am like actually in a in a period of change right now, trying to figure out, okay, am I still a designer? I haven't done client work in a few years. Can I still call myself a designer? I don't know. I think you're very active, like doing, you know, you're on the trends, you're learning stuff, and you're kind of using Webflow as it, you know, keeps um, incrementally getting better as a product as well. Like I wouldn't say, I think there are people who kind of share these kind of 10k freelancer courses and they just churn them out and they just do a few of those each year and and they're kind of riding off the back of their previous success and you know um credibility in the space but i do feel like you're very actively practicing what you preach which i think is really refreshing yes but to to be completely honest my main webflow work today is on our website not on client website and Working with a team today, actually, it's a little bit different. I feel like there are many use cases because Webflow has now developed into a robust tool. Like there's many use cases. And I used to be the solo freelancer working with clients and doing client websites. And that's actually what I'm teaching in my course, mainly oriented at people who are, you know, solopreneurs, freelancers doing their own thing, client work. But now I am kind of on the team Webflow. How do you work together with the team? How do multiple people work on the same project without confusing each other? And you know, the, and it's a different kind of like use case and scenario. We're actually thinking about now updating the course or creating a version for Webflow for Teams because that's actually becoming kind of like a a big use case right now. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's changing. But it's kind of interesting how as as Webflow changes. And like you've just alluded to there, how your career is changing. I mean, I, I listened to a really interesting interview where you talked about how you learned what you were good at and what you were not good at and how you, you know, brought people into your team to kind of manage Flux Academy changing from something that you were like, oh, well, I'll put out a course and see what people, how people react. And then it was like, obviously that kind of became your main focus, but how you learned to become more of a manager and there's a huge transition that I think you had to make where a freelancer who works with maybe multiple clients but ultimately you're kind of the key decision maker in that little world and then suddenly it's like you know your decisions have way broader implications um, for, for a business where people have families and you know you need to think about taxes and how has that kind of transition happened for you and do you do you look back fondly with the struggles that you've had or has it been very tedious i think i am just like everybody else i'm figuring things out and i'm growing and developing and changing uh sometimes i'm figuring it out by oh i don't like this and sometimes i'm like i actually like this uh, and sometimes these things change over time the challenge i think right now is that now there are you know previously at least when the youtube was maybe uh, just for fun, I could experiment on my path of growth and just share things as they happened. But now I have a company and it's like, oh, it's the Webflow teaching company. So it becomes like, it doesn't really matter what Runs is interested in right now and wants to talk about because maybe the audience and, you know, again, the, the, the customers of the company doesn't care about that. They care about Webflow. So it's now, you know, you need to do that. So there might be a gap, I think, between 
my personal interest and where I am developing to and the company. And that's an interesting place to be in, right? Those are no longer necessarily the same thing, right? What the company needs and how the company becomes the best, whatever, education company and so forth. And what I'm interested in learning and develop, because again, like three, four years ago, I was super passionate working with Webflow every single day, only wants to talk about it. Now I am building a team and working on strategic challenges and, and all of the different, oh, and marketing. How do you scale marketing and stuff like that? That's, th those are the challenges that I'm facing today. And those are the things that I'm thinking about, reading about, learning about. That's not necessarily if I put that on my YouTube channel. I mean, that's confusing or not confusing, but not necessarily what the audience or my customers or Flux customers need at this particular point, right? They want to learn how to become good web designers, how to be better on Webflow, right? And that's the support that they need. So it's, yeah, I, I think it's a, an interesting stage in my life and the company's life where there's kind of like separation between the company and my personal maybe interests or where I'm developing as a person. Do you still make time to play though? Because I think sometimes we, you, I don't know if you're like this, but you try so hard to build something and you, I don't know, sometimes you kind of lose the excitement that maybe you once had when no one was really watching. Cause like you, I've heard you talk about this yeah. with, your, with your YouTube channel where it was just like, you just met, you were, you know, cycling through Tel Aviv on the way to a client meeting and there was nothing else on your mind. Yeah, I do. I, I couldn't care about views, right? right? Now I have to like, why are you not getting views? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, I think this is really important, for something for uh, a lot of people to understand. Whenever you monetize your passion, it becomes work. And it's a wonderful thing, right? I monetized design. That was my passion. And then I got started getting paid for that. Amazing. And then I started doing YouTube for fun. And now that's, now that's a job as well. So every, every hobby that you monetize ends up being a job. And then it's less exciting. It gets routine. It gets boring. And then you find out what's next. By the way, I don't know what's next for me. It's an interesting question about the play. I don't think I have enough of that. And I think I need to add that to my life because I have issues around not being productive, right? <laughs> like, why are you doing this? You need to work. Right? Well, what are you doing? You need to work. I usually spend zero time on like social media and stuff like that during the day because I'm like, I'm in work mode. Um, but it doesn't leave enough place for play. That's true. Yeah, it's a good point. It's interesting how a lot of your financial successes have come through play though. Like it seems that you know, you started messing around at school with design and then your friends were like, hey, my dad wants you to make this for this for me. And then it's kind of like... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like the catch-22, right? You need this play to reinvent yourself. And, and by, by the way, this is called, I think, in, in business in general, the innovator's dilemma. I don't know if you, you're familiar with it, but it's just like... Every company that succeeds now is optimizing for continuing that success. Mm. But if they will only optimize to continue that success, whenever, you know, a, a disruptive innovation comes forward, they can't. So like common example is just like, you know, film, film cameras when digital cameras came, right? They were not, they could not invest in digital cameras because their whole business model was to sell the films. Right. And they were like, why would we sell a digital camera, they, which they only buy once when we're making all the money of selling them, repeatedly selling them films? So they were like, we're not going to do that. And then a huge company dies because, you know, they're just being 
blindsided by somebody who did take the new thing. So that's, and it's called the innovator's dilemma because nobody, everybody that succeeds usually doesn't invest enough in innovating because they want to keep optimizing what, the, what has been working in the mm-hmm. past for them. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, I, I think I'm perhaps in that position myself right now where I know what works. I know I can make another course and it will sell a little bit more and, and stuff like that. And we can keep increase growing revenue and so forth. But I need to carve out time for innovation. I'm now thinking about how to do this. I'm actually in this spot right now. All right. Well, it's interesting that we brought it up today. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Those are very weird times. For, not, not weird, but like interesting times for me because I feel like I'm exactly thinking these thoughts. Let's dive into your failures. It's fascinating to kind of learn a bit about where you are and then we can kind of think, okay, how did you get there and, you know, what path did you take to, to do that? So you sent me three failures. Tell me about failure number one, not releasing original project files to a client. Yeah, so this was actually the first, I think, paid freelancing gig that I actually did, uh, which was in a, it was a 3D modeling job weirdly enough and it was a really big project huge project and you know though as the project ended the client kept asking for reiterations or more stuff and i was like you know that was the scope of the project this is what we agreed on and uh yeah if you want more work then you know you, you need to pay me so eventually he said something along the lines of you know what just give me the files i'll keep working on it myself and i resisted against that i felt like and i I think we had some kind of a paper contract that my father put because i was super young i don't remember if we did address who owns the files but i was like no 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 i own the files i've never committed to giving you the files you know you've paid for the renders that's that's what it is and if you need more work on that project you got to pay me that ended up like pretty aggressively in a sense like he threatened me and it was like it got a little bit violent, but at the end of the day, we kind of like, you know what? I don't want to work with you anymore. Here are the files and so forth. But it was a big failure to me. Number one, it was very scary and I got into, you know, confrontations and that. But I think the main takeaway for me was that you cannot force people into working with you, right? You don't want to... Actually, I think we all know this as consumers where if it's the cables or the internet or the, you know, the the mobile stuff when they're like putting you into contract that you can't move to somebody else or something like that. And we all hate that as consumers, but somehow as designers, and I remember at least back when I started, which was like 20 years ago, it was all about you own the original files. You do not give them to the client. And so I try to play that, you know, that advice that I got. And I was like, why? Why am I like, he hates me now. I hate him now. We're not going to work together anymore. And like, what did I gain? And I think that in the future kind of led me into the position of we don't need to have any kind of like commitments, you know, let's start this off. If you want to break, if you're not happy and you want to break out the project halfway, you know, or something like that, or if we're working on long-term kind of a retainer, there's no commitment. As long as it works out for us, that's great. Um, And if it's not working out for us, then let's break it up. And I think that even coming to my future clients with this attitude of, you don't have to trust me, just see if you like working with me. 
it's kind of like reduces the the risk to them. And it also encourages me to always provide the value and not kind of like maybe rest on my laurels. And I was like, nah, this old client and, you know, I don't need to work very hard. Just always remember that you always need to deliver and they have the, you know, the ability to walk away. Uh, I think that really changed how I think about my relationships. What an amazing lesson to have so young, though. I mean, like for that to be your first job or one of your first jobs, I believe it was to learn that treating people with the same in the same way that you'd like to be treated as a freelancer. Like if one of you's not happy, that's okay. Let's just talk about it and let's part ways. It doesn't need to be, you know, a huge deal. It sounds like a really, really important. I, I, I think in general, I, there's a lot of advice, I think, that is adversarial when it comes to clients. They are bad. They want mm -hmm. this and you need to not let them get this. Mm -hmm. Don't let them take advantage of you. And, and it's like if you're getting into a relationship feeling that, again, you need to win and they need to lose or it's mm -hmm. supposed to be adversarial, then it's not going to be a great relationship anyway. Yeah. And I also think something that you, you touched on there as well, that it's a very much a relationship-based industry like it's not just about the work it's actually about how well you can get on with that person this is 100 i think people miss that out like yeah especially now on the internet oh i'll just create content and i'll create a funnel and it's just mm. people are gonna arrive there and no no it's just it's people it's meeting people making yeah. friends like building relationships 100 percent in a long-term play it's a very long-term play the problem not problem but i think People struggle when a lot of times they want to make the move very fast or because of life circumstances, I'm moving, you know, I got laid off or, or some situation like this. I'm like, all right, I'm 100% into freelancing and I need a client right now. So there are strategies, right? And we cover that because people do need help finding work right now. But this is short-term strategy and that's not going to to lead to success. Uh, success is, you know, relationships over long term. And I, I, it's difficult because today with social media, every post is how I made six figure in three months. And oh, you're not making a million dollar after a year, you loser. People get the sense of I need to see results very fast. By the way, I'm not saying that I'm free of that as well. We're all seeing these messages and under the stress of comparing ourselves. What? That guy made so much money and I'm not making that much money. I must be a loser. So, and that leads you into being very, very short-term results driven, which is usually not the best thing. And we need to acknowledge that. And again, I'm not judging. We're all human. We're all greedy. We're all optimizing for the, the easy way. And on the internet, people are trying to sell you on the easy way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot easier to sell a course that says 10K freelancer in 30 days than, uh, yeah, something that's like, this is going to be a grind, guys, but I'm just going to teach you some helpful things that I think would be really useful for you in a long-term career sense. Like that doesn't maybe sell in the same way. But what you just said there, that comparison is the thief of joy. I think in Twitter sphere, you know, you've got 120 characters to get a message. I think people kind of dilute the nuance of everything in order to have... Um, you know, kind of instant feedback or or likes or shares and whatever. And, and I think that can translate into real-term thinking for, for people that are just entering the industry to be like, oh God, I, I should be charging a 5K client straight away. One thing I would say for anyone that's listening and is like, 
yeah, Ran, cool. How do you how do you make friends and and how do you kind of get clients over the long term and what is relationship based businesses and stuff? He's actually done a really amazing video that's on his YouTube channel all about his design career. And you go through in this video basically how you did not get to where you are in two years or three years or whatever. And people look at the success of Flux Academy and think, I'm just going to make a course. No, like you have spent years and years working in agencies, doing freelance work. You started Prospero, started New School. You know, there's all sorts of experience that you've had and peaks and troughs that have now led you to where you are. But that's just I'm important to highlight. Back again, to it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's like everybody knows that to be healthy, you need to eat right and exercise, right? But people are not buying that. Like, hey, how to be successful in 10 years of really hard work. That is not what's going to sell. Mm. And, you know, so people like online cater to what people want, which is how do I get results very, very fast? Mm. Um it's tricky. It's tricky um, because the truth is very is is boring, right? It's like eat well and exercise over a lot of time, right? Work hard over a lot of time. That's why I'm I'm really thinking about this a lot recently. Where I feel like if you're in this to make money as a business opportunity, it's going to be difficult. If you're in this because you're passionate. And you would have done that anyway. You'll have the stamina to pull through the difficult time. You know, I'm doing this as part of kind of like exercise to think about like, who is my audience? Like who wants to buy the courses and stuff like that. And there are definitely people who are, you know, career switching or thinking about what to do. And, you know, web design looks like a fantastic opportunity. And it is. And by the way, to be fair, Webflow is a, a big business opportunity right now, right? It's, you can learn it in a few months and there are projects. So it's, it's, it is tempting and it works for a lot of people, but for specifically maybe freelancing careers and, or, or design, which is, it takes more time to learn and, and hone your craft as a designer. If you don't have that underlying passion to do that thing anyway, then it's going to be very, very difficult. And like everything, it's competitive and it's going to be difficult to win somebody who is passionate. Yeah, it reminds me of a book called The Happiness Advantage by a guy called uh, Sean Anker. And he basically talks about how anyone that just loves what they do is instantly going to have, you know, the discipline and perseverance to just keep showing up. And over the long term, it's very hard to beat people who just love what they do. And not saying that you need to beat them, but I just think this idea of like, Oh, I can make loads of money making a website for a client thing is a uh, is quite a dangerous mindset to come into the website design space with. And as someone that I think you know was heavily influenced by that kind of conversation at the start, to be to be frank as well, it's funny because for me it was exactly the other way around. I got into design because I wanted to do design, knowing that you cannot make money as a designer. I remember when I was doing agency work for a very long, low pay, working my ass off, you know, past midnight and stuff like that, and then got a job in a startup that was like almost three times the pay instantly. I was like, oh my God, you can make so much money as a designer. I didn't even know that. And then, you know, I kept scaling and I kept making more money and more. So to me, 
And that's part of the reason why I started the YouTube channel and I did these annual reports where I shared how much money I make. My reason was I didn't even know this is possible. People have to know. Maybe there are more people like me who are making like minimum wage as designers and they don't know that it's the money out there and they can level up. They can bring more value. They can charge more. It's like just like open their minds to this possibility. But what ended up happening is the actually... You can make money doing this. I'll get into it because there's money there, right? And that's the, the complete opposite motivation, right? Instead mm -hmm. of motivating the passionate people, you end up motivating people who are, might be less passionate. Tell me about failure number two, working with friends and family without clear boundaries. <laughs> so um, I like a lot of, freelancers earlier on I took projects from the only people who would give me a chance which is friends and family um, but it's usually tricky because the people who hire you if friends and family hire you it's usually because you know they don't have a budget to actually hire a pro right and so you end up doing work for them for something that you feel is like uh, you know you're doing them a favor because they're like paying you a hundred dollar but they're like I'm paying this guy you know I'm giving him a chance he should make me happy and that creates kind of like a tension of they're disappointed at you. You hate what you're doing for them. You feel like you're busting your ass and not seeing your reward. And you actually, you have to do everything they ask you and it ends up being bad. And, and so it's really, really bad. So what I learned is that the best thing would be to just clearly say, look, I don't want to, I, I like you because you're my friends or because you're my family. I want to help you for free. Right. And that kind of positions the project as, hey, I'm just doing you a favor. I'm not doing work for you. And when I'm doing a favor and people know that, you know, I, hey, I should be working right now with actually paying clients right now. And he's doing me this favor. So I'm not going to bust his balls, right? I'm going to, you know, just be easy on him and stuff like that. And it's easier for me to tell them, no, you know, I can't keep working on this forever because I got real work I need to do. So it helps kind of like set the boundaries and if they insist, no, 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 I want to pay you, then I, I tell them, okay, but my real rate is this. And then you tell them like a high price and they're like, mm, I don't know if I want to do this. So that's kind of like a, usually a way to set a clear boundaries of what are we doing? Are we really working professionally? And then we both need to be happy about this. Or am I just doing you a favor because you're my cousin? And it's just like doing you a favor, like you're doing me a favor. And it's just like, it puts it in a, in a different context. That could save some relationships. I wish I had heard that earlier, if I'm honest, because this whole, where if a friend says, oh, but I want, I want to pay you something. And instantly it's like, okay, I've got to, I'm either committing to this and it feels like a 50-50 commitment if they're paying you something because you know exactly. that it's not exactly. worth, it's not worth losing that friend through doing something as a kind of favory money transaction-y, but not really worth it type thing so i completely appreciate what you're saying there if someone says oh i, I but i, I look ran i really want to pay you so i just you know i've got to pay you something i mean you, you're putting all this effort for me i mean what like how, how would you respond to that type of a comment by the way you know what it's 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 amazing it's, it's like i have this i have a friend who i asked his help on something to be a moderator in some forum that i'm a part of and i told him hey, we want to pay you to come and do this moderation thing. He said, look, I'm not going to come to do this thing that you're asking me, 
but I'm willing to come to a coffee shop to help you for free, try to help you think about this for free, but I'm not going to go do this thing because if, if I come and do this thing, it's going to be very, very expensive. I was like, how expensive? And he told me the price. I'm like, okay, that's actually very expensive. Let's do the coffee for free. But So he did the exact thing that I talked to you about right now. And it works. It works. It just, and everybody respects everybody after that. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe he's sitting with me on this coffee to help me for free. I, I appreciate that. He's doing me a favor and that's low commitment from his side. That's great. I know what his time is worth right now. And I value his time, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. It saves you the embarrassment of trying to juggle or prioritize both client work and, you know, your mates, your mates' work. And, you know, you can't put the same amount of effort into both unless there's some kind of value exchange that you feel like is 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 worth it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, anyway, your your mom's going to ask you to do stuff. Sometimes you can't say no to mom or, or something like that, right? <laughs> That's got nothing to do with work, actually, right? It's, to me, it's outside of work. It's just like, family and friends time mm. sometimes i go to beer with my friends sometimes i help them make a logo for their whatever but it's friends time it's not work time tell me about failure number three working without a clear design brief so the last i think clear failure and this is not i don't know if to call it a personal failure or a company failure but i was again working with this uh, startup and did not have a clear idea of who it is that we're solving a problem for or what it is. It was just like, we know that we have this opportunity. Let's just do something very, very cool. And we try to do something that is very, very cool for us. Now, I was struggling because, you know, I was reading all of this material about startups and understanding how you need to solve people's problem. And we we're trying to design this app. And I was like, always asking, but who is this for? It's for everybody. What did they need it for? Or everything. And I was really frustrated. But again, that was the boss. You know, he's paying. That's what he wants. And I was like doing stuff. And he was like, oh, that's very, very cool. And I think that, again, I was frustrated by willing to continue because, again, that's the client, you can say. The end of the, 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 the result was that this project did not work. And, you know, when it's time to, to blame people, then I feel like I got a little bit of the, hey, well, you designed this thing and it's not really good. And I said, okay, but I try to tell you, but I think that, again, it's our responsibility, professional responsibility to tell our clients, look, this is not going to generate a great result. Sometimes the, the best thing is to come up with an alternative, Right. And to say, here's what you asked for. Because sometimes, not sometimes, at the end of the day, they're paying you. You need to do what they say. But you can also say, here's an alternative. Here's what I think is a better situation or a better solution. Or you can say, you know what? Again, I don't think this is going to work out. And that depends on your situation, right? Back at that situation, for me to quit my job just because, hey, I thought this is not a good design process, probably I wouldn't do that, right? So I'm, I'm not saying... It's not always possible. But to me, at least that was a trigger of, you know what, I think I need to move on because I'm not going to be able to do great work here. And you realize you, that helps you understand what kind of clients or projects you want to work on. If you're going to work with people who are not willing to listen and partner, they're not going to see a success. And then eventually you're not going to see a success because you're not working on successful projects and so forth. 
Ran, I knew this episode would be gold dust. Okay, I'm just going to say back to you what you just said to me, because there was loads and loads of important things. So one thing you said was, instead of just pushing pixels, you need to be a little bit more of a consultant. You need to push back and say, look, this is where, what you're trying to achieve. And I don't think the way we're currently going about it is the best way to do that. Now, I can just do what you say, but here's an alternative. And even by showing them an alternative, you know, actually making something that you can show maybe might illustrate that idea better. And I'm just going to take that idea a little bit further. Corey Moen, who was on Webflail episode seven or eight, I believe, he talks about showing proof. So he takes this idea further where he actually tests different ideas and says, look, I have got objective proof that people prefer, you know, the color of this button than this button or whatever it is. But pushing back comes a little bit off the idea we just had there. Knowing what boundaries you need to personally have to guide the process effectively and make sure that your client succeeds, but by virtue of that, you succeed, or you might even get blamed by them like it happened to you. Did I summarize that okay? Yeah, yeah. But I wonder if, you know, just to be realistic, I wonder if people can actually use the advice of just say no about whatever boundary it is. You need to literally be burned once or twice. And by the way, know that it's okay to be burned once or twice. And then saying, I'm not doing this anymore because I've done that and that ended up badly. It's going to be difficult to say to somebody, I'm not going to do this because I heard some random guy on YouTube said that, right? <laughs> so it's, I think it's important for people just to know that it is okay to make these mistakes and failures and they're going to learn just like we learn. And that's part of the process. And these mistakes usually don't kill you, don't take you out of the game and just like everybody has them. I think that's the important thing maybe for people listening to this episode is I've had the same mistakes that you're having right now. It's okay. It's normal. Uh, keep at it, you know? Hey, we just swapped roles there. You just went into full web flail mode talking about the importance of failure. And I was like trying to riff off, you know, the, the practical advice that you were giving. But that was amazing. Hey, here's the really difficult question of this episode. Are you ready for it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, what is your next failure going to be? Ah, my God, I don't. It's, I've had so many of them lately that I, uh, you know, I don't know. We're launching a new course on Tuesday. My God, I don't know if it's going to be a failure or not. But hey, touch wood. I'm always doing my best, and uh, yeah, I, I'm failing a lot. If I, it's not always obvious when you're looking at the outside, but I'm failing all the time. Thanks so much to Ran for coming on the pod, and thanks to you beauties for listening. I love this episode. Kabaza, who was on episode 42, spoke about how Ran can just convey ideas with incredible clarity of thought, and I feel like this was a masterclass from Ran. I could have picked so many different parts of this episode to conclude with, but I want to focus on Ran talking about Webflow freelancing being a long-term play. As Ran explains, freelancers often talk about getting more clients, but he notes you don't necessarily need more clients to freelance, but maybe you can service them better. Once a website is made, a lot of work still needs to be done. 
optimizations, new content, new pages, design and build, etc., etc. By maintaining a good relationship, you can get this consistent work and continue to grow your freelancer business. This process of developing trust with clients takes time and requires you to be patient and understanding, but it's an amazingly powerful way of growing a freelance business. And get this, since clients like you, know you, trust you, they're going to recommend you to their friends. So they're your marketing machine as well. Next episode, for episode 44, we have Max Joles on the pod, who is from 8020 Design Agency. Very excited to share that episode with you guys. Until next week, web playlists.